Hello and welcome to With Relish here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Harry Colley. And I'm Aoife Allen. We are a fortnightly food podcast looking at Ireland's culinary industry and identity with a focus on the individuals that make it up. You can listen to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn or wherever you get your podcasts, but please make sure to hit subscribe and write us a review. So today, Harry, we are talking about Irish people doing interesting stuff in food overseas. Yeah. And we've a couple of really interesting guests in far-flung interesting places. So our first guest today was Susan Kennedy. She is uh, an incredible woman doing very interesting stuff abroad. Uh, she has set up an Irish-style chipper over in Buenos Aires, which is completely incredible. It's not part of the culture, the food culture, the food culture over there. there Absolutely. No. So it seems that it's like it was a novelty at the start, but has found its way to be part of uh, a regular diet for many people. So that's really cool. Cool yeah. to talk to her. And yeah, good to hear what the challenges were and, you know, kind of the fun she's had along the way too. And then our other guest is a really dear and special friend of Harry Collins. Complete stranger to me. Yes. I've yeah, never sure. met them before. His name, I think, is Kuan Grine. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kuan? so it's Kuan, <laughs> Kuan Green, who is chef de partie at Noma in Copenhagen. Uh, Noma, if anybody doesn't know, is one of the top ranked restaurants in the world. It kind of varies around the top five slots of that San Pellegrino top 50 list um, between kind of you know, over the last 10, 15 years, and they closed recently of their own accord. Um, They said, no, we're done with this project, so we're going to shut it down. And then they relocated themselves to Mexico and did a pop-up over there, and now they're back in Copenhagen, and they're going to set up Noma 2.0. So they're going back at it with a very different ethos. Uh, I think they're just kind of, whatever project they felt that they'd done before with the first Noma and had become the best restaurant in the world, if they thought they had achieved what they needed to, and now they're reforming. And so I think they're due to open on February 14th. The most romantic day to open a restaurant of the year. So romantic. Ram those tables in, Noma. And so Kuan is a good pal of mine um, and it was great to speak to him and it took me a little while to get used to the fact that I was part of the story for that. Yeah, you were mad (laughs) off. It's really cute. Stop Um, talking about me. I know. Um, But yeah, why is this subject so interesting to us? Like we talk, we're always talking about, I suppose, food culture is mixing. You know, it's something that we kind of return to time and again. Um, you know, I was out for dinner. I was in London yesterday, um, and I was out for dinner last night, and had Georgian food in mm-hmm. Islington, and that's kind of just for me. That's the stuff of life. Like that's what I get really excited about. Yeah. Just tasting something that people eat in another part of the world, and trying to kind of pick up little scraps about what they're all about. Totally through their food. It's yeah. so much fun, isn't it? And my first response to that was Russia's garden, and you were like, "It's not. It's not Russia's garden." Yeah, like, the, yeah. The, like the conversation became political the minute I mentioned. Yeah. It. You know, so it is. It, food's really political. It's it's, and you learn so much about a society, or you can figure bits out from a society from eating their food. So totally, it's a really it tells fun the thing. whole story. And it then does. I think there's also this that very um, parochial Irish thing of being like, "What are the lads up to?" Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's nice to be like, well, and what are what are Irish people doing in Copenhagen or yeah. in Buenos Aires? Yeah. Well, and kind of the like this kind of really basic thrill to hear that there's a chipper in Buenos Aires. It's yeah. like, ah, oh, great! <laughs> People in Buenos Aires are getting to eat battered cod. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's a bit of a thrill. I don't know why, but it's just the idea of kind of stuff like really nice stuff being shared around the world yeah for, for lack of a better word because brand is gross yeah but brand right if you think yeah. about what the Irish brand is abroad yeah uh, you know I think you Ireland look, ink like Ireland <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you look at if you look at Irish pubs all around the world mm. you're like well that's shite that is not what an Irish yeah. pub looks like here and so to find individuals like Susan who are out there um, representing a different part of Irish culture. Yeah, one doing that is, something quite authentic. Yeah, no shamrocks in the pints. You know. yeah. yeah. Well, we didn't ask her actually, does she do a shamrock shaped squiggle of tartar sauce I'm on top of it? a great assumption here. I've yeah. already made my mind up. She sounded like a classy lady. Yeah, so we're gonna make exactly. Some assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of such classy lady, let's get on the phone and uh, have, have a chat. chat. On we go. 
On this episode of With Relish, we're speaking to Susan Kennedy, who is a Dubliner from Sandymount. What we have with Susan is an interesting story of a woman who has set up an Irish-style chipper over in Buenos Aires, of all places. And we're just thrilled to have her on the phone and be talking to people doing extraordinary things in unlikely places. Susan, thank you so much for being on With Relish. Thank you very much for having me. So I suppose just wanted to know a little bit about how it got started. How did you get into the chipper business? Originally, were you working on that in Ireland or was that something that you got into over in Argentina? Uh, it's something that I got into over in Argentina and um, was something that never in my life I imagined I'd be doing when I was growing up as a little girl in Sandy Mount. But um, I ended up moving to the States after college and I was in San Francisco for 11 years and then New York for three. And then I came to Buenos Aires on holidays and I never left. Oh, so that's, nice. that's, that's, I stayed for to work. I was doing uh, interior design and I stayed to do a hotel project. And during the course of that project, I met um, uh, Argentine, who, Marcelo, who's now my husband and the father of my kid. So, Wonderful. Yeah, I'm glad so, there's a love story. In yeah. There. <laughs> There's a great love story there, yeah. And um, so when when I met Marcelo, he's a carpenter, so that's why he was working on the hotel project. And we got to chatting, and neither of us had ever done anything in food before. But the food scene in in Argentina is meat, meat, and more meat. And after that, there's uh, pizza and pasta. And um, since I've been here. For about eight years now, it has really moved forward a lot. But uh, we've had the restaurant five years now. And, you know, we decided just to kind of give a, give it a try, give it a go. Uh, there was no, there's very, there seems to be very low amount of seafood options. And there's certainly there's no fish and chips. So we just said, what the hell, let's, let's, let's give it a go. So what's the uptake been, Susan? I mean, is it seen as a sort of a novelty item that, you know, do people kind of come to try it out once or is there a real demand and appetite now for fish and chips in Buenos Aires? There's a bit, both of those things are true at the same time. I think a lot of people, it's definitely a novelty for a lot of people. Many people have never heard of fish and chips. So you spend a lot of time explaining uh, what it is, the concept, the idea, mushy peas, you know, uh, malt vinegar. Uh, malt vinegar we have to bring in from friends that come traveling or ourselves or whatever it's possible <laughs> okay. to get here. You know, so you explain all of those things and and uh, a lot. Some people know the few that the small percentage of the population that have traveled, let's say, to Europe or other countries that have fish and chips, uh, they they might have had an experience and some have very nostalgic memories of a holiday they took to London ten years ago, and so they're excited to see fish and chips. But a lot of people they wouldn't just wouldn't have had a clue what what it is. Okay. Would your clientele be a lot of expats or is there a lot of people, a lot of locals, Argentines trying stuff out and and getting to know a new cuisine? Yeah, so when we first opened, in the first, I'd say, two, three months, we had probably 80% expats, 20% locals. And now that percentage is totally reversed. We're 80% locals and 20% expats. Cool, that feels Um, like you're making an impression. Yeah. That's success. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, it's it's great because you know people we do have like a pretty loyal client base. We offer a menu that's fish and chips is the core product, and we do you know calamari, we do uh, langostinos, which are um, prawns, scampi, you know, and yeah. then we do other kind of uh, mixed. Uh, we have a we have a sort of fish and chips 
area like uh, downstairs and then upstairs we have a restaurant you know which is we do kind of mix seafood grills and okay. uh, seafood risottos so we've kind of expanded the offering to be to encompass more than just your traditional kind of core fish and chips uh, offering so it's it's actually quite refined what you've got going on upstairs and then it's the really traditional delicious kind of dirty grub thing going on downstairs that's exactly Lovely. right couldn't yeah. have said it better myself wow. <laughs> i'll do your marketing yeah. for you okay <laughs> yeah please do i wonder if there's any uh, surprise favorites things that you thought that maybe the argentines wouldn't be into but now that's turned out to be something that's selling a lot it's a good question i mean the the, the fish and chips themselves is by far in a way what we sell the most of you know uh the calamari is a massive hit here and that's it's really established um, what you will find uh, in the Argentine palate are some idiosyncrasies you know as I said meat red meat in particular is completely dominates here um, and so when you talk to people about a lot of people you would just converse with they're like oh no I don't like fish I don't eat fish end oh, wow, of story okay. Yeah, and so then you'd be like, well, do you eat sushi? Oh, yeah, sushi, I eat sushi, but I don't like fish. (laughs) And I wonder, was it difficult for you to make the transition over from interior design into hospitality? Was that a great challenge for you and Marcelo? The industry, the restaurant industry is a massive challenge, I think, no matter what you've done or even if you're familiar with it. I I would say, you know, I think we were probably a little naive, a little innocent about that. and although everybody says, you know, it's it's very enslaving and, and they're they're right, you know, the hours are, are long. Um, and when you're not actually, in, if you're not physically in the restaurant, you're thinking about it, you're yeah. working on some aspect, like whether it's the marketing, you know, uh, you know, your social media presence, you know, dealing with the deliveries of, of sort of your provisions and supplies and you know, millions of other details yeah. that go into running a restaurant. Even if it's a small enough operation, you know, it's still a significant, significant amount of work. So, so yeah, so the transition, you know, was uh, um, was a big learning curve for us, you know, um, and we made tons of mistakes along the way. Now, five years in, we kind of have the rhythm of it, you know, but you're always trying to kind of improve and, and uh, make things better and, you know, have better service and have better controls in the kitchen and so on for you know so there's there's so many things that you're kind of constantly working on and you know dealing with the public as well in such a sort of a um let's say a front and center type of Mm. way you know is is one of the challenges as well it's very gratifying you know on one on the one side and then it can be tough on the other side you know because everybody is now you know a, a restaurant critic with the phone in their hand and yeah. so yeah. on so, so yeah. you can't you can't take things too personally yeah, yeah for sure so um yeah, yeah, it's a learning curve, definitely. Um, Susan, can I just ask you about Argentina as an environment for opening a small business? I mean, Harry and I were chatting before we started recording and saying it must have been, I mean, it's challenging to open somewhere, something where you're from and where it, you're speaking your native language, but it must be extremely challenging overseas. But is, is it a flexible environment for small businesses? Like, did you... Do you think it'd be similar to setting up in Ireland? No, it's difficult here, more difficult. I mean, there's a, I think there's it's a World Bank analysis of like 250 countries around the world and they measure them on a scale of uh, difficulty of doing business okay. or ease of setting up a business. And I think Argentina is, you know, number 234. Yikes. Okay. Of, yeah, it, it's, it's difficult. Again, I know I was quite innocent to some of those uh, challenges that were going into it, but, you know, even the sort of, 
of um, uh, what they call here the tramites, which are like the you know the legal processes to mm. get your 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 business structure set up, to get your bank account set up. There's there's a, a those things are not easy. Like I lived in the in the in the states and I had a business myself there, and you know that was you know you do it online in the day. Mm. You know you set it up, but it's just a massive difference in terms of that. I'm sensing that you're a woman who likes a challenge, mm. Susan. It sounds like you've really slog for the past five years. Well, wow. yeah, yeah, but I I guess I guess you'd say that in hindsight. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, but it is. It it has been challenging just because, as I said, you can't assume. You know, that's one thing I'd say to anybody like uh, starting a business here. You know, uh, don't assume things are the same. Don't assume yeah. the culture is the same. The clients will be the same. The way of doing business is the same. You know. So as I said, you just learn as you go. Now, now we're in the we're in the rhythm of the thing, so yeah. it's fine. But uh, you know, you learn, and again, a new industry as well. So. You live and learn. Absolutely. My lovely Susan, thank you so much for speaking to us from so far away in another continent and another season. And can I just tell everyone at home that Susan is telling us about the glorious blue skies she's experiencing and the lovely warm temperature. So we're just a bit jealous, but Mm. also delighted to have spoken to you, Susan. And actually, now that I think of it, sorry, I don't think that we uh, said the name of your restaurant, which is Chipper. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the restaurant's called Chipper, and that's very specifically, you know, an Irish reference, Mm. obviously. And I'd say in five years, I've had two people that have identified that. Really? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Important cultural reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, sure. Look, exactly. if any if any of our listeners are in Buenos Aires the next time, I would encourage them to call in and get some of that delicious grub because it sounds only fabulous. It does. Yeah. Thank you so much Thanks for joining us. So Thank, Thank you. We feel like we've kind of grown up a little bit over the last month or so because for the first time since we started with Relish, uh, which is only about eight months, mm. we have a sponsor. We do have a sponsor. We want to say thanks a million to Just Eat for sponsoring a few episodes and hopefully many, many more. Hopefully many, <laughs> many more. And uh, if any of the lads from Just Eat are listening, I'd love some vouchers. Yeah, go on, hit us. <laughs> that hit was us the first vouchers. thing that my friend said when, they, when I told them that Just Get Eat... Get free stuff. Yeah, exactly. Tasty, tasty vouchers. <laughs> so still waiting. But anyway. Yeah, my address is. Um, yeah, so thanks to Just Eat yeah. um, for, you know... It means that we can do fun things like take people out for a coddle lunch and have a chat about food culture in Dublin. Yeah, so exactly. So, he, so here's an ad from them. Mm. Magic is real. It's contained within an app. Put your feet up and watch Peking Duck appear with just a tap. Magic is pizza. Tacos. Sabloid fish and chips. Shish kebab. And spicy crispy chicken strips. Download the Just Eat app and order food for delivery. So joining us in the studio today, we have got Kuan Green. Kuan is an Irish chef uh, who's working in Copenhagen. He works for a restaurant that you might have heard of. It's called Noma. Uh, Noma's currently closed at the moment, but it's in development to reopen as Noma 2. Is that the name that it's going to be going on? Yeah, so far it's uh, Noma 2.0. Noma 2.0. I think think it'll just be Noma. Okay, I think it'll still still be called Noma. Anyways, so Kuan is currently in the development stage of working with that um, and has recently been in Mexico traveling where he was working with Noma over there as well. He's worked for a number of other restaurants around Copenhagen and then also in Dublin and Spain. And I know all of these things because we are super old friends and uh, co-workers and um, co-students. So Kuan Green, welcome to With Relish. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I've heard so much about Kuan. It's really nice to have Kuan in the studio now. 
Um, you reference him, I'd say, three or four times a day in work. That's absolutely not true. <laughs> oh, it is, yeah. I... He never <laughs> stops talking about it. It's really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got this uh, photo of you. He just keeps it above his workstation wherever he's working on a given day. He's just and I go, like, up. what would Kuan say? What would Kuan well, do? Yeah, about it's my your section. Motto. Is my section clean enough? Yeah. No, but you do talk about Kuan a lot, so it's nice to meet you. Well, did you hear about the photo in... Um, Harry's parents house no so <laughs> when, when Harry and I uh, uh, used to work together on this okay. little project we had uh, called Up and Pop Up we got a write up and um, his mum put it on the wall Emer Dillon yeah Emer yeah. Dillon the famous Emer Dillon 404 um, I, walk, <laughs> I walked in and on the fridge was the photo with the magnet, uh, a circular magnet, <laughs> Over on <ours>. my head, <laughs> <laughs> on my face. <laughs> so it was just a Pushed picture aside. of me. Yeah. That is amazing. The golden child. Anyways, oh, legend. Well, so I'm good. sorry that my mum preferred me to you, Kuo. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> okay, tell us a little bit about life at Noma. Mm. I mean, it's such a world famous uh, dining experience tell us a little bit about being behind the scenes there where to begin I've been there for close to a year now okay. so I started when we were closing the original Noma yeah so the one that's been open for the past 15 years um, I began two months before it actually would close for good um, and we'd be moving to Mexico oh yeah okay so that was incredible it was an incredible experience and this was a time when all these incredible chefs were coming to eat for the very last time at Noma. And we had, I was served Farinadria, wow. which is like... Yeah. For anybody at home who doesn't know, Farinadria is the head chef or former head chef and owner of El Bulli in northern Spain. Yeah. So this which is... Which was world-renowned restaurant, best restaurant in the world, like six years in a row. Or yeah. Something. Like this is El Bulli. This is like the Paul Bocuse. This is... He, he created a new food movement. You know, and like like Noma did with Nordic food, he created the avant-garde style yeah. in, in Spain. And this is where René actually trained himself. Mm. So to have, this is only the second time Farron came to eat. So to have him come eat, it was a real experience. Were you quaking? It was mm. so scary for yeah. all of us. Everybody was, was he eating terrible. in Copenhagen or in uh, Mexico? In Copenhagen. Oh, okay. In Copenhagen. Yeah, he came and his English, he doesn't speak any English at all. And he absolutely horses into his food. Yeah. Like, just, like, I've never seen someone finish the menu so really? fast. Really? Yeah. Okay. But it was a great moment. I love that. That's really evocative, isn't dirt, it? Yeah. It was, it was really <laughs> cool for us, though, to yeah. know that someone like this was here. And there is, there's big chefs that are coming every day, but Ferran was, was a big one. So, to be a part of that closure was incredible. And I, it's a strange point at which to join mm. what has such an enormous legacy, something that is so world-renowned, to join it at its very tail end. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a unusual position on your mm. side, I think, to join it then. Yeah, quite daunting. But um, at that time, I I mean, Noma's the restaurant I've always kind yeah. of aspired to. And that's well, what, what made you, because I know you had been working for Geranium before yeah. that. What made you make the leap over Geranium, which anybody who doesn't know is another Copenhagen-based restaurant, the Three Michelin Star. They're in the football stadium and yes. they are generally Noma's biggest rivals. Biggest rivals, yeah. So it wasn't um, the most popular of moves <laughs> on my behalf, but um, <laughs> it just, it happened at that time. Noma needed staff and um, I was asked, was I interested in coming by a friend who worked there and um, I kind of jumped at the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I was so excited about, about it and that was the right time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they needed staff for Mexico and um, we ended up going to Mexico two months later. And that, w- that was, for all of us, the most incredible food experience of our life. 
So tell us a little bit about Mexico. What were you doing while you were there? Mexico. So what we did essentially, we set up a pop-up restaurant out there for three months in the jungle in Tulum. You know, there was no kitchen there before. Before we'd gone there, there was no dining room. It was just jungle. So we catered for a hundred and eight, a hundred and forty people a night over three months, uh, fully booked out. But um, what we cooked was dishes, Mexican dishes done in our way, using our techniques and our perspective and our ways of cooking. And the creative team, the development team, had designed all all this by the time we had arrived, and we were kind of we're the kind of the guys that just that cook everything, you know, send the food out. But we were using ingredients that most of us has never seen before wow. so I was handed say a, a piece of fruit or um, a vegetable that essentially I had no idea how to prepare guanabana you know guanabana what's that um, guanabana is a, it's a fruit it's um, a big prickly fruit okay it's kind of fleshy interior that's you bite it and you chew it and it's juicy and then it becomes almost like chewing gum and kind of hard to actually digest okay. but it's Rico. It, <laughs> it is Rico. It has yeah. these spikes. Needs a bit of, of love to be Rico. Mm. It has these spikes of like pineapple and then maybe a little bit of yuzu or something. Okay. It's just, it's, it's very intriguing. And then there's other things like jackfruit or mm-hmm. mame. Mame was, is like a, a big oval egg shaped um, fruit with uh, almost like a custardy orange texture in the middle. Wow. And the seed is That's huge. Amazing. The seed's larger than an egg. Um, quite o- <laughs> oval. <laughs> But when you grate it, it tastes like almond. So a bit okay. like, um, a lot like like plum seeds or something like that. So right, we're, that we're gives a lot, doesn't that. it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, so it's like just pure discovery. And we were cooking dishes that were traditionally Mexican, but we didn't even know that because mm. we hadn't got a clue what traditional Mexican was. It was only as we stayed for a longer period there that we began to realize that these were dishes that everyone was eating. We were just kind of elevating them. Yeah. Elevating them. Yeah. Um, Did you have Mexican chefs in the kitchen with you? Yeah, we did. We had a lot of our interns were Mexican. Okay. So we had 45 interns when we were there. Five interns, imagine. Uh, so 45. We were a team of 70 chefs. Yeah. Cooking wow. for 80 people at a time. So 70 including the interns? Yeah. All right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So these guys so were very amazing. few paid chefs. Very. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the interns were, the uh, Mexican interns were incredible. They just like start singing sometimes. Just start okay. And all just start going at it and just mm. really just at the top of her voices just yeah. singing while prepping and doing deadly stress relief it was amazing yeah. Yeah. it was amazing do you know and um, I know because I followed closely on Instagram and also because I visited you in Mexico but the women who were hired to do the tortillas yeah. were like where were they from? so they were from uh, Maya community so we were based in uh, the Yucatan which is the heart of the Mayan people um, and these ladies were from a small town, a small village called Yashuna, which we went to visit. So Rene, the head chef of Noma, he has traveled to Mexico for years and years. Yucatan is really the area where he feels at home. And he got to know these people and he's traveled all over, but he tasted these ladies' tortillas and he's, to him, these are the best. So he wanted these ladies to cook the tortillas in the restaurant. Not us, not that we would cook them. And often you get you got guests coming up and saying, "Oh, it's amazing! It's so it looks so real that uh, these ladies are cooking the tortillas." Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" I was like, "Well, you guys would be so good at." It. I'm like, "Well, no, these gr- these ladies are 
hitting out 90 an hour you know I struggled to do nine yeah yeah, you know, yeah their yeah. skill rate was incredible it's all if there's no press it's no like a no tortilla presses it's all by so hand. it's hand press oh my yeah, god it's on plastic just by hand and then they're putting it onto um, metal skillets which are over the yeah. fire and it was absolutely stunning it was only yeah. afterwards that we when we went to their homes that we realized that this is the way they live you know totally um I think that was one of the cool things about Noah Mexico as well was that as you're talking about them them kind of uh, you know cooking local foods or not cooking local foods it wasn't local foods at all but it was like using local ingredients and putting their own spin on the stuff mm. that was there it was also kind of very important it seemed uh, to be respectful to the yeah. area yeah absolutely I think it's a really difficult it's, yeah. it's a difficult position to be in I know because I remember looking at the price of those tickets mm. and then looking at the like Average wage, yeah, <laughs> of those in that area. Yeah. You know, mm. Like it's a great disparity. So I think disconnect that, there. Yeah, yeah. real sure. disconnect. So I think it was very important for a number. From what I understood, anyway, was that they would collaborate, collaborate as much with, as possible. With people as much as possible. Yeah. yeah, that was a cool mm. thing. What was the objective of Noble Mexico? I think it sounds fabulous. I think I get it, but just from your perspective, what was the? I think from our idea? own perspective, I feel it's uh, learn to learn. Yeah, it is. Um, and Noma have done. They've been to Australia. They've done the same thing in Australia. Yeah. And a similar one in Japan. Okay. And it is really to discover, to learn. It's to totally meet. immersive cooking. And it is. Like, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like what we do when we travel. It yeah. is to, to learn something new, to see of something course. new, new language, new, yeah. new culture. Okay. And so I know that you, you, you touched on something similar to that. You were closing the Food on the Edge Festival this year, which is yeah. run by J.P. McMahon, who was on an episode about four episodes ago, yeah. I think it was episode 10 or something like that. One of my favourite episodes. Well, thank you. I, thank we you loved it. Yeah. yeah. We loved doing that. The live episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, great. Oh, the live one. Funny oh, yeah, we did that one. as Yeah, we interviewed him twice. He's been on twice. Yeah. yeah. He's our star guest. Yeah. So far. I was killing myself laughing at some of those debates between him and Martin. Oh, really? Yeah, Amazing. yeah, yeah. It was, it was great crack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so I know that you you just touched on there the point that you talked about. Um, so like the idea of these Mayan communities and then language and um, how those things can come together and make the experience of eating different. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, I know that you traveled a bit after you finished with Noma Mexico that you went around um, other parts of Mexico it's because I travelled with you Harry. I know <laughs> <laughs> Harry knows he knows this because yeah. he was with me <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm trying to sound very professional um, we never try to sound professional I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why I'm trying all of a sudden yeah um, anyways I wanted you to speak a little bit about the idea of community and language and how that has affected your food experience so my topic at Food on the Edge I spoke about uh, my title originally was savoring language through culture. So is what impact language has on my understanding and when I travel and how I feel I can integrate with communities mm-hmm. or chat to people or just walk around a corner and just have a good conversation with someone. And it usually involves food and it involves culture or coffee or whatever it is. But um, being able to speak Spanish in Mexico was amazing. You know, it was really open to our doors, didn't it, didn't Harry, when we were speaking? It was... Um, okay, I'll be part of the story now. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Yeah, it was yeah. it was brilliant for us. I think, it, for me anyway, I found that it was the most valuable food trip that I ever went yeah. on. I spent four and a bit months in Southeast Asia a few years ago. I spent mm. a month in the Middle East this year. Yeah. Um, I will go back to Thailand now in the new year. Um, but the fact that I had the language oh, opened up so much to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when we were like in Oaxaca and we were in the market, whose name I can't remember now. Ooh, the market Oaxaca market. Wa- <laughs> Mercado Oaxaca. <laughs> 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 speak beautifully. Yes, I speak. <laughs> but that was one of the most amazing markets we've ever been to. Like, and think about markets in Spain or in France or mm. in Italy. This one was 
somewhat overwhelming. And we, we left exhausted. Yeah. yeah. It would, the scale of it and just the diversity and the ingredients and the colour. And yeah. just everything you wanted to ask questions for, but I had been in that situation in Vietnam. Do yeah. You know, when you're, when, I'm, when I'm looking at stuff and I'm like, almost. oh my God, what is what that? The and, is then, that? Yeah. and then you go, what is that? And they're like, well, yeah. because I don't speak Vietnamese and they don't speak English. So, yeah. so there's, there's a disconnect there. Yeah. And would you only ever get something that's surface level. Yeah. And I found that because we were able to speak the language, we were able to just like engage in a way that I'd never done on a yeah. trip before with mm. food. And so say like the first woman that we spoke to and sat down, like on the first day that myself and Kuan were traveling around the market, uh, we ate 17 different things that day. Yeah. Wow. Um, one seven, 17. That was one of my favorite days because I mean, I'd been there for three to four months and I'd discovered all these incredible ingredients, yeah. which, and you know yourself when you, when you eat these things, you almost want to share them to other people. Yeah. You yeah, get yeah, that yeah, excitement yeah. again. Yeah. And that was, yeah. When Harry arrived to Oaxaca, he'd just come from Cancun, so he'd come from hell. Yeah. yeah. Do you know? Oh my God, it was um, hell. So he'd come to Oaxaca <laughs> and it's like, boom, we're going to see all these incredible ingredients again. Mm. And yeah. Just eating. And this time there. you're at your leisure, enjoying it, not yeah. going, what the hell do I do with this? <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, yeah. so sitting down and eating, and so women would be walking by. And so this is in Oaxaca, is in the south of Mexico, a uh, very, very colonial town, but a very uh, indigenous population. Mm. So, like, lots of different tribes, uh, tribes identified by the different clothes that they wear, like, the whole place is run by women it's amazing and Sounds they're like, my like utopia. right and they're these like short women with these beautiful long braids with you know ribbons threaded through them mm. and they go right down their backs uh, and they have these like beautiful frocks on and then they'll have these massive like baskets on their head which is full of um, food and you just of mystery and they'll be walking past and you go okay, so what is that do you know what I mean yeah, like, you yeah, grab yeah, yeah. them and you'll be like what, do you, what is that there yeah. what do you have and then they'll tell you and they'll you know, taste it and then they'll tell you about this is better than where you would get it from somewhere else and the reason that we have it is because of this and you would just get this like they were equally story. excited to talk to you as we were to them which, yeah. was, which was amazing yeah. you know um, there were times when do you remember I went up to that uh, cocoa stand the cacao no oh and I asked for could I try a piece of fresh cacao and she was like no like oh milk. I do remember that get out of here and then I was like can I buy can I buy a piece <laughs> off mm. each other because <laughs> so you were Johnny Farron like, yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much yeah. Okay. Yeah. pretty much fair enough just because I am so with her <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke <laughs> but it was it was stunning like even <coughs> yeah. the, the meat do you remember the meat market where in Oaxaca where the those the dried salted beef was strung up against the against the grills so it was like a long channel that you could barely see through because it was so smoky mm. and there was these uh, what was it called Carnicería Yeah, carnicería, like exactly Meat A meatery Meatery Yeah, yeah. Um, And there was these kind of booths uh, Set um, kind of in, in the smoke And in between each kind of booth Would be a charcoal fire With somebody on the other side of the charcoal Like showing you the meat Just like holding out a big like strip of uh, intestine and being like, this is the best intestine. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And you can't, you're not going to get this anywhere else. And like, there's it looks 17 exactly like stalls. The other one. And mm. it's the exact same. But it's just like this it's incredible the like, assault. But then, but then yeah. the next lady, it's so you, you order that and then you order your vegetables off the next person down, down the line. And then it's a tortilla comes and then you're asked to sit down and then it all comes together and somehow you pay it for it all together. Okay. They've worked out some sort of a system that... It's like a cooperative or something. It is yeah, like a cooperative, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But it was, ama- it was almost too much to handle, wasn't it? Yeah. It was intense. And I think it was one of these things where it wouldn't have made as much sense had we not been able to kind of like engage with it in that way. You know, Absolutely, you know, like, yeah. 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 Because yeah. 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 things you're seeing things you don't recognise. 
Yeah. Um, you're seeing systems that don't make sense to you. Yeah. These things would just be totally overwhelming. Yeah. You know, we've all had that experience where you're like, I really want to participate yeah. so badly. You're like yeah. a shy kid. Yeah. You know, on the edge of things, you're like, I just want so badly. But in the end, you're just kind of like, take a photo and run away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, that hap- that's happened to me so many times traveling. Yeah, it, language makes a whopper mm. difference. Have you taken any, any stuff home with you that you learned or saw or valued whilst in Mexico? Um, ju- I think just the experience of it all. That's what I've taken most from it. It's just their perception on a lot of it's customer focus without yeah. necessarily realizing it themselves. You know, I was um, I met this uh, chef in Noma and I served him uh, one of the courses and he was like emotional while eating. You know, it was absolutely just overwhelmed by the whole experience of it that we were doing something at such a high level his his cooking you know which he felt hadn't been achieved yet mm. in mexico so that was quite um humbling for us and he invited me to his restaurant in mexico city which i did mm. i was going to mexico city anyway but i ate with him and he was just sitting down serving me dishes coming down going back to the kitchen roaring at them and then coming back again lovely um, mm. how relaxing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like brought all the chefs great in. hospitality brought, yeah. brought all the chefs in all the waiters were like it was a, it was a really cool experience yeah. and this is like traditional Mexican food yeah. just done right to his yeah to, to, to his, his idea yeah you know? sure but he was he was telling me about this story about um, these this mango lady so he needed 100 mangoes for an event for the next day and he knew that outside outside of Mexico City a lady was selling the best mangoes so he went out there and he said how many mangoes have you got and she said roughly a hundred um, and she, he said I'll have them all and she said no <laughs> and but I will pay you top dollar I kind of sp- I kind of thought of it like a small Irish village here. Mm. Um, and he said he said well why not you can't have them all and he said why not well then nobody else will have my mangoes in the village. That's really nice. And he said, well, then you can just buy more. And she says, well, I don't need to buy more today. This is all I need to sell. This is my quota for the yeah. day. And I don't particularly want to give it all to you. I'd prefer everyone else to have, have yeah. some. Joe, mm. so, and that is that That's kind nice. of sense of customer focus. Yeah. You know? yeah. Where yeah. she's just looking after her family and, yeah. and Fred, friends and the lads. Now, I personally would sell them all go home and put my feet up for the day. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it, but some people s- are just a lot nicer than you'd me. You'd be seeing yeah. some you know? lads walking around with two chairs. Sense. You know, yeah. they walk around with two, two chairs in their hands mm. and they'd be selling the two chairs. And I asked one of my friends who's Mexican and I, I said, what happens when they sell the two chairs? Do they go off to their chair shop and mm. take two more out and I was like no that's that's the day's work that's the day's work the day's if the they don't sell they'll just keep going mm. just have a seat yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so like just you've experienced a totally different way of working essentially yeah and uh, way but of interacting with that's it and you kind of you kind of you start reflecting on it and mm-hmm. does this exist at home and yeah for a while I was thinking no that these people they know very little outside of their rich culture yeah um, and I was explaining all these stories to my grandmother and she was like, she was nodding and she was loving it. And by the, at the end of it, I thought she'd got the full thing. I thought mm. she'd got the full message I was trying to tell her. And she's, she was a cook mm. and she just looks at me and she goes, what's a tortilla? <laughs> Do you know? So it is still there, you know? <laughs> you just need to find Imagine, it. Yeah. Um, but that's what I got most mm. of it. It's the, it's the people. That's what I, yeah. I absolutely love the interaction with it and just discovering this new culture which I'd never seen before because yeah. I haven't been to a- to Asia or done Southeast Asia or 
haven't had these experiences yet. So yeah. th this was a first for me. It's a really good first mm. when mm. you can speak the language and you're actually there with a very specific purpose mm. to engage with the food culture of a place. Immersed. And, and totally immersed, yeah. Mm. All your travels after this are going to be really disappointing unless it's exactly oh, the same setup. Mm. <laughs> and so with that, with that chapter now closed of Noma, which was yeah. its first run and its final hurrah with Noma Mexico, what can we expect to see from it in the new year? So the new year, um, the past couple of weeks, we've been focusing on a lot of fermentation, a lot of testing, a lot of preservation, um, and focusing on the ocean. So then our new concept is now focusing on the seasons. So in the winter, it's quite sparse in Scandinavia. You know, you're going to mm. really struggle. Um, so what we're doing is we're focusing on the sea. Okay. So we're focusing on something that doesn't necessarily get affected by the harsh winter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so our whole menu for the next three months is going to be sea related. Oh wow. You know, ocean, river, yeah. waters. Um, and it's it's going to be very, very special. Some of the tests that we're doing are incredible. We got some starfish in last week, uh, salted them. I was massaging octopus for an hour. Didn't appreciate it. Uh, well, it was dead. <laughs> but, uh, that is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> You're really good just above the sixth leg there again. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> what it does, it, it, um, it tenderizes the octopus. Yeah. So there was 10 of us standing around massaging octopus. How yeah. big was the octopus? Uh, very small. Uh, very s I don't think, I'm just thinking. All of you were yeah. no, massaging no, no. individual separate, octopus. Separate octopi. Yeah, octopi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, with 1% salt. So you make a big lather with mm. it and, and this, uh, this tenderizes, yeah. um, which you can then freeze it. Um, so that's that's going to be the first three months and then we're going to go on it'll be we're coming into spring and summer so we'll be focusing very much on vegetables fresh veg and then autumn will come and we'll be on uh, game and the forest focusing on the forest a lot so this, it, it's going to be really special and yeah. that also I mean if seafood's not for you then focus on another season come another time Yeah. yeah. so it gives people that kind of that's decision making. Yeah. And also gives people a really strong reminder that certain foods are available naturally at certain times of the year. Right. And that you can't have everything all year round. Well, you can't. You can't have starfish in summer. You, can't, you just can't <laughs> yeah, eat starfish in summer. You can't massage an octopus in autumn. Okay? You can't just ask for starfish and no, get it whenever you, know, you want. Just remind people that that is actually how the environment is structured. Yeah. And that like hyper availability of all kinds of food all year round isn't a natural thing. Totally. And yeah. it's not it at its best. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and we're opening, so with this new concept, there's a new restaurant as well. So we're, mm. we closed our old building and we're now moving into a new new one um, just beside Christiania, which is uh, the, what you call it? It's the, the Crusty Central. Crusty Central. <laughs> Crusty Central it's a, of Copenhagen. Yeah, it's, a, it's a hippie commune, yeah. essentially. <laughs> essentially. Um, but we're just on the outskirts and we're beside a lake and sorry we'll just give it a we'll give it a bit of just <laughs> a little bit of a better description than that um, so Christiania is like it's the it's in the centre of Copenhagen yeah. and it's a kind of lawless place Law, pretty much um, it's run by a community of its own that looks after its own and has its own rules and regulations and like decriminalises drugs on site and um, just essentially is a place that lives it's not even in the, the EU yeah, no. lives outside of the law yeah, in no, the middle really, of Copenhagen. Yeah, they've really have stamped down on mm -hmm. on that on the drug side of it now, and there's regular sweeps of the of the place. But 
Um, we are not in there. We're on the outskirts. <laughs> um, just close to the edges. Yeah, yeah. just to clarify <laughs> that. But uh, we have a much bigger space than what we had. Okay. And that just um, opens new realms of study and creativity. Okay. Um, and yeah, we're very, very excited about the new project. It's going to be pretty amazing. Great. So you have a little bit more Holly Bob in Dublin. I do. And then you're going back rejuvenated and refreshed yeah, and ready for Noma 2.0. Exactly. Mm. In the heart of a hippie commune. <laughs> in the heart of a hippie commune. <laughs> starfish. I can't get over the starfish I thing. Know. I'm still hung up on that. Sorry. Yeah. I just didn't even think they were edible. Yeah. But there you go. Delish. So Kuan Green, thank you so much for coming on to With Relish. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to catch up and uh, nice that you and Aoife can chat and finally meet after I spend all my time talking to both of you about both of you. talking about Kuan. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Kuan. Really thanks, interesting Cheers. to hear about what you have coming up. Cheers. Thank you for listening into this episode of With Relish. We would like to thank all our guests for taking time out to come on with us. As mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are a fortnightly podcast, so make sure to check out headstuff.org for our next show. You can download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn and all the usuals. If you like what you've heard, please let us know by writing us a review or following our Twitter page at WithRelishPod. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.